Hi, and welcome to Comchurch Talks. This is our sermon of the day. We pray that it will be a real blessing to you. I know you'll be encouraged, challenged, and uplifted by the talk that you're about to hear. You know, we're going into a series about promises. And I'm just going to do a bit of a background before we sort of get into the different promises. But I love that. And I love the testimony. And I love what we've heard this morning. And that's why I want to encourage you. And as I speak my word this morning, I want to encourage you that if you're sitting there going, I haven't seen it yet. I, how can he do it again? Because I haven't seen it yet. And I want to encourage you that that's why we have his word. That's why we have this Bible here, because it's full of promises fulfilled. It's full of characters in the Bible that, that God has moved through, that, that miracles have happened. And there's no reason that if it happened for them, it can happen for me. And so if you're standing there, sitting there this morning going, well, I haven't seen it in the first place. So how can he do it again? I want to encourage you that there's no reason why you can't take those scriptures and say, Lord, do it again. Do it again in me. Amen. So, But I'm getting ahead of myself because it's amazing. And and the testimonies and the, the songs and everything that's been happening this morning just convinces me even more that God's promises are for today. God's promises are yes and amen for those that are in the Lord, for those of us that find ourselves in the Lord. And if you're not in the Lord this morning, I pray by the end of this, you'll kind of want to be, <laughs> but you'll feel a bit like, ah, oh, I don't want to miss out on that. So so here we go. We're talking about promises. And I kind of really apologise, but uh, as a family, we're trying to move house at the minute. And so that kind of means that... Um, some of these analogies just drop into my mind and, and it's just house stuff. So uh, I'm sorry, I don't know how long that's going to last. Let's see. But um, so this week we've been looking, yes, we've been looking at house and then Julie and I were on Pinterest now looking at all the, the lovely kitchens, all the bathrooms. We're just dreaming. We're just dreamscaping. We don't, they don't have prices in Pinterest. So you can just dream and you can design and you can look at all the lovely things. And I know Michelle and Wesley are just coming out the other side of it. They'll be like, yeah, good luck. But we can dream and we're looking at curtains and we're looking at bed things. Beth's already bought all her bed stuff ready for the new house in faith. So we, it's not even ours yet, but in faith, she's bought the stuff. And, um, and then there's Julian, who is just extra. If you know Julian, he, he's, you just know that he's extra. And so it's not enough for us to just look at boilers. I mean, that's a bit boring anyway, isn't it? To look on, You don't look up boilers on Pinterest. But him and Simon Braithwaite, who has been egging him along in his extraness, are looking at infrared heating, something completely different. But actually, as I was, so this is obviously in my head because he's been trying to explain it to me and he's been, and it, and it is actually really fascinating. But what it is, is so traditional heating will heat the air around you. I mean, gosh, if you're sat there right now, you get the full force of the, the, the air. And so why it's not completely freezing is because the air is heated. But how infrared heating works is that there's panels on the wall. And again, you can make them look like mirrors. They can look like pictures. They can blend in in the ceiling. It's very clever. Um, but what it does is using infrared technology, it heats the objects in the room. So it doesn't change the air. It doesn't change the atmosphere. It changes the temperature of the objects in the room, including you. So when you come into a room, you feel the warmth. You know, like this week, have you, has anyone just stood out in the nice sunny days? It's like two degrees on your thermostat. But when you stand in the warmth of the sun, you can feel the warmth of the sun on your face. 
that's infrared heating. And, and as I was uh, looking and preparing for this, I thought, wow, okay, so just catch this, that it doesn't change the atmosphere, it doesn't change the environment, it changes you. So the infrared heating changes you. Everything else around can stay the same, but it changes you. And it got me to thinking, because this, I mean, it's, it's a bit pricier than just changing a boiler. You can have all the state of the art. It can look fantastic. It can look, huh? It's, oh my gosh, yes, it's vegan. <sighs> it's all of those things. It's, it's, the, it's the future, but... Unless you turn it on and engage it, it's completely useless. You will sit there shivering. Unless it's switched on, unless there's power supply, unless it's engaged and it's on, it's completely useless. And that's what got me thinking about. The, we've got this whole book of promises. And unless we engage in it, unless we intentionally like, look and interact with it, it's completely useless. It's just... A book. And this is what I want to encourage us today is that yes, the book is full and full of promises. And um, so next week, get excited to look about a, uh, to hear about a message on loft insulation. No, not really. Okay. So I love the Bible. I love the Word of God. We know from 2 Timothy that it's God-breathed. It's there for the correcting, the rebuking, the teaching, and the encouraging. And it's the place I find encouragement. It's the place I find answers. And it's the place I see my reflection. You know, have you ever had that experience where you kind of think, you, maybe you do something weird or you've had a weird experience and you think you're the only one and actually you feel quite isolated by that. It's just horrible. It's not nice feeling you're the only one or that maybe this has only ever happened to you. Maybe you've only ever experienced this thought process. Maybe you've only ever had this happen to you in a relationship or whatever, whatever. And I, and I guess that's why support groups are really um, popular because people like to talk and hear, oh, no, I'm not the only one. It's a thing. And um, have you ever had those moments where you're like, ah, oh, I'm not a complete weirdo. It's actually a thing. So a very basic, I mean, obviously, I've had more life-changing ones than this, but a very basic, silly example of this is... Um, Heidi, who's at the back, and you'd think she's so lovely and sweet, but she laughs at me every time I say batteries. She thinks I say it really weirdly. <laughs> yeah, I see you. And she's like, what? I'm like, batteries? We've got batteries? And she's like, why do you say it like that? And I'm like, what? That, that's how you say it. And then other people would say it like batteries or I don't know. No, okay, okay. Well, and then, well anyway, they all laugh at me in the office how I say this. And then, and this has gone on for years, and then Josh appears, and he comes on and goes, right, I've just bought some batteries. And they're like, you say it really weird, like Sarah, and we both, because we both, not together, or we didn't know each other, but at one time, growing up, we both lived in Ipswich, so we had a certain little accent, and for whatever reason, that's the one word that's carried over, because I got rid of that accent a week after moving here. But for whatever reason, batteries stuck, and I was like... It's a thing. I'm not a complete weirdo. See Heidi. 
I'm not completely strange. Someone else says it just as weird as I do, although it's not weird now, it's okay. So anyway, that's just a really quick example of a it's a thing. But I can't tell you how many times reading through the Bible, I've actually gone, ah, oh, it's a thing. And I just want to encourage you to do that, is if you're experiencing something or going through something and no one seems to relate, I think you'd find it really hard-pressed not to find it in the Bible because there's so many amazing stories in there. And and that's why I love it. I love reading. I'm so excited about this Old Testament uh, walk walk through the Bible, walk through the Word, because we see ourselves so much in the Old Testament. It's really amazing. You know, how many times I've read it and I've just thought, do you know what? I identify with Jonah. I get it. And the Lord has spoken to me through the story of Jonah. I identify with Esther. I get where she is. I wish I had the courage of JL. If you don't know who JL is, read that and then be afraid of me. I love the courage that JL had. Would I have that courage in that moment? I'm inspired by Joseph. I receive the warnings of Eli's life. I feel the desperation of Hannah and I feel the heartbreak of David, just to name a few. But I read those stories and I go, oh, it's a thing. (laughs) It's okay. I'm not on my own. It's a thing. Now, we're looking at promises today, but I step really cautiously and really reverently into this area because I'm not about name it and claim it. You know, there's been enough of that. And, you know, you can Google, and this isn't a bad thing in of of itself, but you can Google promises of God and you can get up YouTube videos, you can get up hundreds of things, you can print them all out, and they're one-liners. Now, they're true, they're scripture, they're brilliant, they're great. But if you're just saying that, and nothing's really changing inside, it's just not that helpful. If you're just looking at the promise in isolation, it's not very useful because we can take it out of context. And so what I want to encourage you is to do that, find those promises of God, but then read around them, read around, well, what was the circumstances? Why could they say that? Why did they declare those promises? Why did they say that? Because it's not enough just to know and spout verbatim. You need to get the understanding as well. We say, Julian read a scripture earlier this morning about um, in wisdom, you need to be getting understanding. And when you're looking for wisdom, above all, that's what we need to be searching is just not the knowledge, but also the understanding. So I want to encourage you, it's not enough to just be, you know, okay, here we go. Julian has been on this journey of vegan and he's lost a lot of weight and he's doing very good and he's much healthier. Now, the fact is he could have been chomping on a burger and just saying, I can lose weight. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yeah, it's scripture, it's true. But if he's chomping on a burger constantly and that's all he's doing, he is not... That's obvious, right? He's not. But people do that in life with different situations. They'll quote a scripture and then act completely in the opposite direction. So church, what I want to kind of say today is let's be a church that doesn't just quote stuff that sounds good. Let's actually get the understanding around that and actually get you know, where we're heading, what, what is the Bible saying, what was God saying. But then equally on the other side of the spectrum is then a whole group of people who then were like, well, I'm not going to believe for anything I can't rationalise. If I can't kind of understand it, if I can't get it, then I'm, I'm, not, gonna, I'm not really going to believe that. That's a bit weird. Or, yeah, that's, I'm just going to glib over those bits in the Bible. You know, 
we miss out so much if we try and if we only believe in what we can rationalize actually we miss out most of the bible we miss loads out you know because and some people can they can kind of think okay I'll just I'll believe by faith that Jesus has saved me he died for my sins I've got that and you know there's some really great things in there where it shows there's historical um evidence that the resurrection actually took place and so we can rationalize that we can understand that yet Jesus walked on the earth we know he did these things we've got good accurate historical accounts as well as biblical accounts I've got that I can do that but then for anything else believing him for other stuff I'm not sure I can I can't touch and feel that I can't I'm not sure that's right I think that's a bit fanatical I think that's a bit too far like I believe he saved me but as for anything else but again I want to encourage you like I'm not saying check your brains out when you walk through the door I'm not saying you know check out your reality we're all fully aware of our reality I'm not saying check that out or deny it but what I'm saying is that there's so much more than just our logic there's way more and that's living by faith and and as Christians we are called to live by faith not just by sight and there's so much more so because the fact is you know and we we talk as we said we talk about the church and the fact is for anyone that's never been to church today a lot of what we do is weird and we can't make it normal it's just weird tithing is weird it's it's not logical why would you give away if you need money why would you give away it's just weird it doesn't make logical sense but yet we know that we know that promise and blessing is attached to it forgiveness is weird why would you forgive somebody that's done something wrong to you why would you do that it's not logical yet we know that when we forgive promise and blessing is attached to it putting others first doesn't make sense but we know promise and blessing is attached to it denying ourselves picking up our cross it doesn't make sense and it's completely now countercultural. and this is the thing church more than ever the promises of God and the actions that precede the promises of God are countercultural. they they're nonsense people will look at you and go you're a weirdo and that's the thing but putting denying ourselves who says that no it's look after yourself look after number one only you's going to look after you look out for number one and that's not what the bible says that's not the heart of the bible it's deny yourself and pick up your cross it's weird but there's promise and blessing attached to it Helena spoke last week about Peter and he came you know Jesus said to him go out Fill your nets again, go into the deep, go back and listen. It will be on the podcast soon. Go out and listen to that again. But what struck me again was that when Peter came back in and he had the full nets, he had the catch of his life. It was the pinnacle of his career. It was the top of his career. He was probably made up. But he didn't come and sit there and start working out his retirement plan. He left it and followed Jesus that makes no financial sense that makes no logical sense but he knew and then if we carry on reading through the rest of the new testament we see what peter's life was really about yes god blessed him in that moment but how often church do we stop at that how often do we sit in that blessing and think oh no god's made me comfortable thank you very much peter didn't sit in the comfort of that catch 
He didn't sit in the financial security of that catch. He left it. He left it to follow and walk with Jesus. And then we see how much more Jesus had for him. He said, I'll make you fishers of men. It wasn't about the security. And this is why, again, we keep kind of banging home is that blessing, promise, all of those things. It's not just about what's in your back pocket. It's not just about material blessing. It's about a life well lived. Because more than that financial gain made in that one day for Peter, he then went on and saw thousands saved. That was a life amazingly and well lived. Amen? Amen. So we want to look quickly at the Old Testament. You know, I love the Psalms. And one of my favorite Psalms of promise in this season right now is Psalm 27. It refocuses me on God. It reminds me that he's my defender. He's my refuge. I don't actually and can't determine what people think about me, what they say about me. I can't control that. I can't make everybody happy. I can't determine the outcomes of certain things. There are a lot of things that I cannot do and I can drive myself mad trying to do it. Or then I read this Psalm 27 and go, it's a thing. I'm not the only one that has kind of uh, felt like that. But um, but in this, I know I don't have to be afraid. And I love that. I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to be afraid of anything because he is my light and my salvation. And it refocuses me to seek God and to live and dwell in his house, in his presence. But what I love reading alongside the Psalms is the book of Samuel. Because there you get a glimpse of actually what's going on. So the Old Testament kind of gives you a bit more of a picture, of a complete picture of what's going on. If we only had Samuel, then we'd kind of have the historical accounts. There's a couple of songs in there. There's a couple of things in there. But otherwise, you just pretty much get the what was happening. And so I kind of like to think, well, that's the what and that's the historical stuff. But what I love about Psalms is then it's almost like his diary. It's like David's diary, his feelings inventory. He's like, you get to see how it affected him. You get to see how he feels. You get to see that he was human. You get to see that he didn't go through all of these trials, just like, yeah, la-di-da. But then equally, if you just read Psalms without Samuel, you don't necessarily grasp how dire it was for him at times. And so we're going to read Psalm 27 in a bit, but I just want to have a look here at Samuel. So turn to, let's have a look. Let's turn to Samuel, 1 Samuel 19, 9 to 10, or it might be behind me. So, but an evil spirit from the Lord came on Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand while David was playing the lyre. Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear, but David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. That night, David made good his escape. So this is the time when Psalm 27 was written. It was written around the time where David had to escape Saul. Now, quickly in a nutshell, Saul was someone that David loved. He looked up to him. He was a father figure. He respected him. And then also at this time, he was actually his father-in-law. So anyone think they've got in-law issues, is anyone's trying to kill you, right? So this is what I'm saying. His father-in-law was literally trying to kill him. He literally wanted to come after him. And, um, so David escapes, and I'm, we haven't got time to read all of it, but I, I encourage you, read it, because it's 
it's excited. It's interesting. So he escapes and he thinks, I know where he won't find me in the place of my enemies. I'll go to the Philistines where he'd killed Goliath. I'll go and get his sword as well. And I'll go and hide out with my enemies because that would be that maybe that's the last place he'd think to look for him. But um, let me tell you, going back to your enemies is probably not the greatest idea. And quickly, David realized that, um, yeah, that this is not going to work out well for him. Um, so he's really not safe, and so he pretends to be mad. So let's go now to 1 Samuel 21, 12, from 12. So David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. So his servants had been talking about him, and they'd be going, hmm, isn't this the David that's been the hero in all of these battles? Hmm, isn't this the David that killed Goliath? Isn't this the David that's done X, Y, and Z? And so he starts to very quickly realize he has now got a target on his head here, so that he is not safe anywhere. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Achish said to his servants, look at the man. He is insane. Why bring him to me? Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? So David left Gath and escaped to a cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. And those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him and he became commander. About 400 men were with him. Just wow. (laughs) He was a king. (laughs) He was a king in a palace, reduced to dribble beard. Like, can you just get that mental image for a minute? This highly dressed, this important man of God, anointed by God, promised to, by God, placed in a position, the highest position of honour, because of God, is now dribbling down his beard to escape death or imprisonment. And then I just love this. So he's left his palace with the finest of society, the finest things around him, and he's now in a cave, and his company is those in debt, those in distress, and those who are discontented. Brill, God. Fab. If you were David right now, you'd be pretty hacked off, right? So he's in the worst, he's in a really bad place. And then all around him are those in debt, the other misfits of the world, those that are discontented. Oh, don't you just love a discontented person? Oh, if you feel a bit miserable and discontented with your church, find someone else who's discontented and you'll have a right great moan together. I'm telling you, that conversation will not run out. And you'll both feel as miserable, miserable as you did when you started. But I'm telling you, you heard that saying, misery loves company. Oh, my gosh. I mean, have you ever sat in one of those conversations or heard, overheard a conversation where people like to moan? But you know what? They're as happy as can be. They're never happier than sitting there complaining, sitting there moaning, so happy. They find another Eeyore and they just moan and moan and groan. Oh my gosh. So you could kind of forgive David 
if that's what he wanted to do. He's just had a lot of wrongs done to him. He's just had a lot of things. He is the promise of God. He's been anointed. He didn't ask for it. He was out in the fields looking after his sheep. And this bloke, Samuel, came and anointed him. He didn't look for it. He was anointed. He knows God's put a promise on his life. He knows God's put a dream on his life. And now he's sitting with the remnants of dry dribble in his beard, listening to these moaners, complainers, and groaners. So if he'd sat there going, yeah, well, God left me too. Yeah, look, look, look what he promised me and now look where I am. But that's not what he said. And then that's when we turn. Let's turn to Psalm 27. This is what he said. And I love it in the New King James version where the title says, an exuberant declaration of faith. Church, in your miserable time, now you never have miserable times, do you? Is it a thing? Is it just me? But in those times where you could do nothing more than just want to complain and want to moan, what is the soundtrack? Is it exuberant declarations of faith or is it woe is me? Poor me. So let's have a look at this. And I'm going to read it, church. If you want to read it over yourself, keeping in mind what David would look like right now, and place yourself in that. If you want to read this with me, I'd love you to declare this exuberantly with me as an exuberant declaration of faith. If you don't want to, it's fine. That's your, it's your loss. Okay. So Psalm 27 is up there. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God, my Saviour. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not hand me over to the desire of my foes. For false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. 
Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? If in a cave, David can declare that, that he remains confident. He knows that he knows that he knows that he will, see, he will still see the goodness of God in the land of the living. How much more can we? This exuberant declaration of faith didn't change the atmosphere. It didn't change the surroundings. In fact, he was cave hopping for about 14 years. It wasn't quick. It wasn't over. But we read through all of Samuel and we see this army defeated, this foe defeated. Saul never killed him. Saul never got to him. He did protect, God did protect David. And we saw thing after thing after thing. But he says, I know that God will be there with me. I know that I will see his goodness. It didn't change the environment but it changed him. It didn't change straight away what happened in the atmosphere, but it changed him. And that's what reading these Psalms, that's what's looking out of these promises of God and getting a real understanding of the promises of God. That's what it does, church. It changes us. It changes me, you know. And this is, I love this, and I do it when through tough times, through hard times, through situations that we don't understand. Every Sunday morning, a lot of the songs that we choose and a lot of the songs that we sing are exuberant declarations of faith. And this is why we can sing them, even if we don't feel it and think it. And this is why sometimes we have to put logic down and we have to put it in its place. It's not wrong. Logic is not bad. Knowledge is not bad, but it has to be put in its place. Because there are times where we can walk in on a Sunday morning and the world can be crashing. But what I love here is David constantly says, in your dwelling place, in your tent, in your house is where I find the refuge, in your house. Please, again, church, if you're having an awful time, don't let this be the last place you come to. Let it be the first place you come to. If you have to turn up with your dribbly beard, come with your dribbly beard. It's okay. It's okay to be here and be there. Look in a hot mess. It doesn't matter because this is what David says. He doesn't just declare what he wants to see. He doesn't just declare a, a shopping list of what he wants to see. He doesn't ask for his palaces back. He doesn't ask for his riches back. He doesn't ask for his servants back. He says, verse 4, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. That was his priority. That was why David was known as a man after God's own heart, because it wasn't the stuff that came with the promises. It wasn't the stuff that came with the blessings. It was that he wanted to dwell. And then he says later, my heart says of you, seek his face, your face, Lord, I will seek. Maybe we just need to take a minute here and go, your face, Lord, I will seek. Whatever this mess I'm in right now, Lord, your face, I will seek. My kids are playing up. They hate everything around me. They hate me. Your face, Lord, I will seek. I'm going to go and I'm going to fast and I'm going to pray and it makes no logical sense, but your face, Lord, I will seek. And we have got testimony after testimony after testimony in this place of where things that make no logical sense turn situations around, of things that make no logical sense or reason 
we see God's promises fulfilled in our lives. And, and church, that's why if this is the first time you've heard it, or if this is the hundredth time you've heard it and you just momentarily forgotten, let's get into those Psalms. Let's get into those promises. Let's get into those lives of the people of faith. And that's why they're called heroes of the faith. Let's read and see how they responded. And they weren't perfect. Can I tell you, church, you won't read one of the stories where they all got it perfectly. The only person that is perfect in this book is God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. The only person that is perfect. And it's not about perfection. It's about intention. It's about God, I intend to seek your face. You know, and all through David asked in Psalm 139, he said, see if there's any offensive way in me. He never stopped learning. All throughout his Psalms, he's like, God, show me. God, teach me your ways. Show me your ways. Church, let that be us. Let us be a church, a a group of Christians that keep saying, God, lead me into the way of everlasting. Lead me in your way. Make your path straight. Make your word a light until my path. Lord, Let me just seek your face above everything else, before everything else. Because, you know, we don't do this in our own strength. David didn't do this in his own strength. He did it holding and walking side by side with the Lord. I don't want to miss anything. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of, I'm all in or what's the point? I don't want to miss anything that is for me. I don't want to settle for the blessing that I've already had. There is more. There's always to build more and more. And I want to see the promises that we see in this Bible, the Acts Church. This church believes that we're still writing the book of Acts. We still believe we're part of the book of Acts. And if I'm not seeing what they saw in the book of Acts, then I'm not content. I'm not okay. I want us to see that, and my heart is that that will be your heart too, that we will be praying and fasting again, that we will be like seeking the Lord's face to say, God, we need to be that place of refuge for a dying and hurting world. We need to be a church so on fire for God that when people walk through this door, that they sense and know a life-changing Holy Spirit. We're not a museum. (laughs) We're not just a nice thing to come and look at. We're not a social club. We're not an entertainment place. We're here to fulfill and walk out the things that this Bible says. So I want to encourage you, go and read if it's that psalm. There have been times I love Psalm 55. I love Psalm 91. There's In every season, there's been times where I've said, God, okay, I don't know what to do in this situation. And this is why it's called a living word, because you can have read something a thousand times and then you ask God, I need you to show me this again, or Holy Spirit reveal something. And all of a sudden it just drops and kicks you right in the heart. Yeah? Have you had that experience? And you're like, oh, thank you, Lord. And I'll go, Lord, I don't know what to think. I don't know what to pray. And I don't really see a way out of this. How how do I think? (laughs) How do I pray? What's the truth in this situation? And then I'll be reading something or I'll listen to something. And he goes this, this is what you do. And it will be completely, probably won't make sense. It will be, if someone hurt you, someone talked bad about you, someone was really nasty to you, what are you going to do? And in Peter, it will say, bless them, give to them, (laughs) give above to them bless them what (laughs) 
That doesn't make sense. But do you know what? When we do it in obedience, it doesn't make logical sense, but we do it in obedience. And then all of a sudden, you know that ugh feeling? That, have you had that heavy feeling in your chest, in your shoulders? It's gone. The situation hasn't changed. They are still who they are. But you've changed. You've changed. And that's what's so amazing about the infrared <laughs> power <laughs> of this word, of this book. So I want to encourage you, delve in whatever, wherever you are. And again, in the excitement and the exuberance, David never forgot to give praise to God. When things are fantastic, when things are brilliant, when things are going perfectly, he never forgot to bring that praise back to God and honour him. And as Josh said, I so had that same word, is that, you know, when someone else shares their testimony, I just rejoice. Because can I tell you, church, a revelational truth, there's enough goodness to go around. He doesn't have an account that if they're blessed, then that takes from me. There's enough goodness to go around. So when he blesses my enemies, I can praise. (laughs) When he blesses those that have actually, I think, God, why did you bless them? No, I never think that because I'm really holy. (laughs) Honestly. But there's enough goodness to go around. It doesn't matter. And so I praise God that they're blessed. And now, Lord, I'm still believing you for what I need. I'm still believing you for what I know is coming my way. So church, I hope that's encouraged you this morning. And as we worship and as we sing our songs, let's just make them those exuberant declarations of faith. Amen. Thanks for listening to Com Church Talks. We'd love to hear from you. And you're welcome to any of our Sunday services or midweek comms. For more information or to contact us, please visit www.comchurch.org.uk or find us on Facebook. God bless.